Hello, church. Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, uh, and happy new year. Wherever and however you're watching us today, we're really glad that you're with us, and we're glad that uh, you're kicking the new year off in this way with Zion. Um, my name is Johnny, probably better known as uh, Jenny's husband or Susanna and Haley's dad. Uh, but in any case, I'm really excited to be here with you today, and I'm really excited to be sharing this word from, uh, from Colossians. Um, so this week, we're going to continue our series on Colossians. Over the past few weeks, Paul has outlined the false gospel that's being spread in the church of Colossae, and he's contrasted it with the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now, in chapter 3, Paul is going to pivot a bit, and he's going to start to teach us what the life of a mature Christian should look like. We'll spend the next two weeks speaking about what Christians, what mature Christians should put on or what they should start doing or be doing and what they should put off, what they should uh, stop doing or refrain from doing. Um, and this week we're gonna be speaking about the latter. But not only that, Paul is gonna give us a key. He's gonna, he's gonna give us some insight into why we should be doing these things um, and why we shouldn't be doing these things. So before we dive in, let's talk about how we're gonna approach this text. Um, while I was in college, I, I only received an A in a single class. I was only there for two years. Um, that's another story for another time. Uh, it's not that I was dumb, I think, uh, but as any of my teachers from fifth grade on would tell you, I was just very lazy. Uh, but this one class just clicked for me and it was Philosophy 101. In this class, we, we talked about how to construct an argument. And as somebody who views the world in a really logical way, uh, this class really spoke my language, connected with me, was, was just really easy for me to engage with. So the idea of the class was that an argument is formed uh, of two things. It's formed of a premise or multiple premises and a conclusion. Uh, to Joel, if you're watching, Joel is a philosophy major. If I just butchered this, I'm sorry, I only took an intro class and that was 12 years ago, but I think I'm pretty close and that's a general idea. Um, so for example, uh, if, if premise one is parents of newborns lose an average of 109 minutes of sleep every night. Premise two is I have an eight month old daughter. Therefore, I lost 109 minutes of sleep last night. And that is absolutely true. So the idea is if this is true and this is true, then that must also be true. Uh, now, why'd I give you an intro uh, to philosophy summary? It's because in his letter to the Colossian church, Paul writes, writes in a very similar manner. Paul is building an argument throughout this letter with each section building on the section that came before it. So we're gonna analyze and deconstruct the argument that Paul's making here. And as we do so, we'll be led to his conclusion with a much deeper and richer understanding of what he's trying to communicate to us. Paul is going to tell us why living the way that he's going to suggest we live is the only logical conclusion for a Christian life. Fair warning, this sermon is going to get a little philosophical. It's going to be a little abstract, but I really think um, this is necessary to understand uh, what Paul's point is in this, in this passage of scripture. So I encourage you to find someone to discuss this with after, after you watch this video or, or listen to it, um, you know, in your home church or to a friend or hit me up and I'd love to, to dive into these scriptures more uh, with anybody who, who's curious. Um, 
And with all of that said, let's read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 9. If, you then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, uh, after the image of its creator, we're actually gonna stop right there. Um, before we continue, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to, to speak about your word. We thank you that you uh, give us your word to learn more about you and who you are. I pray that these words would not be my own, but that they would be yours, that you would use them to speak to the hearts of all those who are listening. I don't take this lightly, speaking your word, so I pray for your grace uh, to be upon me as, as, as I deliver the message that you put in my heart. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're like me when reading that passage of scripture, you breeze through the first few verses or, or just skim through them to get to the good stuff which is the list of things you should and shouldn't be doing. And you start making that internal checklist of, okay, I'm good here, I'm good here, I'm not so good here, but I'm good here. And you do that to see how you stack up and how well you're doing in, in your walk or how, how pleased God is with you. But remember what we, what we talked about earlier, Paul is building an argument here. And so the first four verses are imperative to understanding the, the next five that follow. And so let's pump the brakes here and let's take some time to examine exactly what Paul is saying in verses one through four. So let's read that again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul starts his section by outlining the implications of salvation. So remember in chapter two, which John preached on and so beautifully laid out the gospel for us, Paul says that we're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised with him in faith. We're made alive together with Christ. In chapter three, Paul reinforces this by saying, you are alive in Christ, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So according to Paul, when we, when we were saved, three things happened. We died, we rose with Christ, and our life was hidden with Christ in God. So we died, we rose, and we're hidden in Christ. I was really stuck. Now notice, Paul is speaking in past and present tense here not in the future. So he's not saying you will die and you will rise, but rather he's saying you have already died, 
You are already risen and you are already hidden with Christ in God. Now this is confusing because by all, clinic, by all clinical definitions, I am alive right now. And to the best of my knowledge, I've never been dead. And if you're watching this right now, then you are also alive. And if you've ever been dead at any point in your life, that's a story I absolutely need to hear. But that's not gonna be the case for 99.999% of us. So what's Paul saying? Paul is telling us that if we have received salvation, something has already happened to us spiritually that our earthly selves haven't caught up with. As Christians, we live in this peculiar state between the already and the not yet. So everything that happens to us after salvation happens between what Christ has already done, he saved us, he resurrected us, and he's hidden us in himself, and what hasn't yet been fully realized. And that's the realities of living on earth. Our life doesn't always look that way. So to better understand this, let's borrow an analogy that Paul uses in his letter to the Corinthian church. Paul says that while we're here on earth, we see things as in a mirror dimly lit. So what does that mean? Have you ever had to get dressed in the dark? Maybe you had a spouse or significant other that was sleeping still when you were getting ready for work. Maybe you had a baby sleeping in the same room and you didn't want to wake them up. So you roll out of bed real slow so you don't make too much noise, but not too slow because that's when the bed makes the most noise. And you tiptoe over the creaky floorboards, the ones that you kind of start to memorize. You glide the drawer, the dresser drawer out real slow and you close it real soft. You open the, the closet door in the way where you put a little bit of pressure on it first so it don't click when you turn the doorknob. And you get dressed, you take a quick look in the mirror, it's kind of dark, you could kind of see yourself, and you walk out the house, get to the train station, only to realize that your socks is mismatched, that your black shirt was actually navy blue and now your sneakers don't match at all. All because you were getting dressed in the dark and you had to look through a mirror that was dimly lit. So that's the idea here. You can start to see this new life that's hidden in Christ while we're here on earth. It just, you got the outline, maybe you got a couple details, but you're just getting a dim glimpse of it. It's not fully revealed. The clarity of it is yet to be seen. So let's, let's take a quick pause and do a recap of what, we've, of what Paul's established so far in this, in this section of the letter. So we've already died, we've already rose, and we're already hidden in Christ. It just doesn't always look that way while we're here on earth. So the work of salvation has already been done and we don't need to add anything to it, but our life doesn't always reflect this reality. And it won't, Paul says in verse four, until Christ appears and we appear with him in glory. In other words, it's not gonna happen on this side of life. And this is why sin doesn't stop with salvation. This is why you don't get saved and all your sins disappear. This is why you leave church often with the same issues that you came to church with. Our true selves are hidden in Christ and they won't be fully revealed until we're in heaven with him. So it's like this, the moment Peter Parker is bitten by the radioactive spider, 
he goes from average kid to kid with superhuman abilities like that of a spider. He immediately has everything inside of him that he needs to be Spider-Man. However, it's a long journey before he transforms into the hero that we recognize as Spider-Man. And this is a picture of our life after salvation. We're on the, we're, we are on the journey while living on earth to fully realizing who we've become. So we're saved, the work is already done, and we're on the journey to fully realizing who we've already become. Now that's a bar. So how do we take this journey? How do we live this life on earth? What does that look like in my day to day? Well, in verse one, Paul gives us the key. Let's read Colossians three, verses one through three again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earth. Remember, Paul just finished saying that we're already hidden in Christ with God. So our true selves are already in heaven with Jesus. And if that's true, then why would we waste our time focusing on earthly things? This is Paul's, this is Paul's point. It's illogical for us to, to focus on earthly things. The only thing that makes sense for us to do is to put our mind on heavenly things. If I was getting on a plane tomorrow to go to California, which I'm not because pandemic aside, I have three kids now and I can't even begin to fathom what taking three kids on an airplane is like. But if I was to be going on a plane to go to California, when it came time to pack, I would check the weather in California where I'm going and not in New York where I'm at. If I packed for New York where I'm at, I would be improperly dressed when I got to California and I'd be very sweaty before I ever made it out of LAX. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, prepare for where you're going and even more, prepare for where your true self is already at. While here on earth, begin to bridge the gap between your earthly self and your true self. Bridge the gap between you and heaven. So let's do another, another recap and see, and see what we've established to this point. So we've died, we've been raised, and we're hidden with Christ in God, but our true selves have yet to be revealed. So we're now on this journey while living on earth to realize who we've become. To do this, we set our minds on things that are above where our true selves are. We work to bridge the gap between us and heaven. So how? How do we do that? How do we bridge the gap between us and heaven? How do we do this work? I've never been to heaven. I can't tell you what Minnesota is like, nonetheless heaven. With very little insight into what our experience in heaven will be, with only shadows of it given through scripture, how do we put our minds on these things that are above, these things that we've never seen? Well, we look to the closest heavenly reference point that we have. We look to someone who started in heaven and came to earth as a connection point to humanity 
and ascended back to heaven, who seated, as Paul states, at the right hand of God. Jesus is the bridge between us and heaven. So if, we're, if we are to work to bridge the gap between us and heaven, if we are to live our earthly lives like we're already in heaven, then the only logical path forward would be to follow as closely as possible the example of Jesus Christ, the example that Christ left for us. And this is what Paul's saying. From the point of salvation, our lives are to be consumed with getting close to Jesus, with being like Christ. And lucky for us, God left us four eyewitness accounts called the Gospels and many epistles like this one that we're reading now, showing us the character and the actions that we're supposed to be emulating. In Matthew 9, when looking at the crowds of people following him, we see that Jesus is compassionate. In John 13, when he washes the feet of, the, of his disciples, we see that he's a humble servant. In Matthew 21, when driving the merchants from the temple, we see that he's passionate for God's house. In Matthew 26, when in the garden of Gethsemane, we see that he is fully submitted to the will of the Father. On the cross, we see him loving us with the greatest love to lay down his life for us. Jesus left us the blueprint for heavenly living on earth. So let's pause and recap again. So we've died, we've raised, we're hidden in Christ, but our lives don't always reflect this reality. So until our true selves are revealed, we are to work to bridge the gap between us and heaven by emulating the life of Christ. Now, with this as our foundation, let's consider these next five verses. Just gonna put these on the floor. Verses five through nine, still in Colossians three. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, which is any sexual act outside of marriage, impurity, talking about impure motives, the impurity of lustful living, passion, specifically talking about shameful passions, also relating to lust, evil desire, which is having a desire for what is forbidden, and covetousness, which is the unchecked desire for things or greediness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, which is ill will or desire to injure, slander, which is speaking ill of someone to hurt their reputation, and obscene talk or abusive talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So let's examine this section. First, Paul says to put to death whatever parts of you are earthly. Whatever parts of you don't align with your true self that's hidden in Christ. Now this is aggressive language. This isn't make a polite suggestion. This isn't if you get around to it. This is at all costs. This is the zombie movie where you hit it in the head and not in the chest so you make sure it's not getting up again. This is setting off five bug bombs in your kitchen with the tarp taped over the doorway and sweeping up the roach carcasses afterwards. This is by any means necessary. 
This is John Owens, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Put it to death, period. Notice also that Paul is moving past mere action here. So don't just put to death your sexually immoral actions, but also put to death the evil desires that are hidden in your heart. Don't just put to death your lying tongue, but also put to death the anger that lives inside of you. So not just your actions, but every thought, desire, feeling, and emotion need to be in line with the example of Christ. Nothing apart from the example of Jesus is to be allowed any room to exist inside of you. On this topic, I often think of this quote from Martin Luther in regards to, to taking captive the thoughts and feelings that we, do, we often don't choose to have. And the quote is this, you cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. In other words, we can't always prevent these thoughts and feelings and desires from entering, but we can absolutely stop them from staying and having a home inside of us. So the path to becoming a mature believer is putting to death all of the earthly things that live in us. Now we could easily stop here. We've got a wonderful exhortation from Paul on what we shouldn't be doing as, as mature Christians. And next week, we'll get an exhortation on what we should be doing as mature Christians. But remember, Paul is building an argument here. So, the, so these verses stand on top of the last four, where Paul said our aim should be to bridge the gap between us and heaven, and that we can do this by, by being like Christ and following his example. So let's take another look at this list here and see how it connects to the life of Jesus. To do that, let's take a look first at Matthew 22, 36 through 40. When speaking to Jesus, they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when asked what the most important commandments to follow were, Jesus gave us insight into the commandments that directed his life, that guided his life on earth. And that was to love God and to love your neighbor. So in light of the, in light of the life of Jesus and in light of these commandments, let's look back at the list of things that we should be putting to death in us one more time. Let's read Colossians 5 through 9 again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices. There are two things I want to highlight here. Once I get my papers in order. Two things I want to highlight here. All of the sins listed here put the love of self above the love of God. 
They make our desires and our pleasures and our wisdom first. They place things in the place of God. They place personal gratification over obedience to God. These sins say what I want is more important than God. And the second thing I want to call out is that these sins all put the love of self over the love of others. They do harm to others physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Others who are made in God's image, who we're supposed to love. Paul is giving us a list of sins that put the love of self over the love of God and the love of our neighbors. And this is why they need to be put to death. They directly oppose the example of Christ, the, the example that we should be following as mature believers, as mature Christians. And what are some of the ways this can play out in our lives? How do, how, how do we apply this to us? Well, it takes a searching of your heart. It takes a asking yourself questions and asking God to search you. Some examples is the way I speak to my kids showing the love of self or showing the love of God and the love of my neighbor? Is my attitude at work showing a love of self or a love of God and my neighbor? Is my browser history showing a love of self or a love of God and my neighbor? Are my private conversations, is the way I spend my money, is the way I spend my time showing a love of self or a love of God and a love of my neighbor? Beloved, this is the key to Christian living to mature Christian living. This is the litmus test through which we pass all of our actions, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings. Is this loving God? Is this loving my neighbor? And if not, then put it to death. So a final recap here. We've died, we've raised, we're hidden in Christ, but our lives don't always reflect this reality. So until our true selves are revealed, we are to bridge the gap between us and heaven by emulating the life of Christ. And Jesus distilled this life into two commandments, love your God and love your neighbor. This is how we are to direct our lives. This is what the life of a mature believer looks like. This is how we work to bridge the gap between us and our true selves in heaven. So as we pray, examine your thoughts, examine your life, examine your feelings and your actions. Ask God what in you needs to be put to death. What inside of you is opposing the example that Christ left for us? What in you is loving yourself more than it loves God? What in you is loving yourself more than you love your neighbor? Maybe the Holy Spirit is showing you these things already. And if not, then pray that he does. Let's follow the example of Christ together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for, for, for the scriptures. We thank you for this exhortation from Paul. Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts. That we ask that you would show us the things inside of us that need to be put to death. We ask that you would help us to, to live a heavenly life on earth. Help us to follow closely the example of Jesus Christ that we can only do empowered by your spirit. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.